I've loved this series so far, and before I get into this week's message, I wanna update you on something crazy exciting at, at CCV. You may know earlier this year we launched our 14th campus, CCV Maryville, right next to GCU, and shout out to our Maryville campus, they're doing awesome right now. Also on Easter, we launched our 15th campus, our CCV Downtown Warehouse District campus, right in the heart of our city. They had four baptisms on Easter, it was awesome, it's great, and today, I wanna tell you that later this fall, in 2023, we will launch our 16th CCV campus this year. Anybody else excited about that? Yeah, God has been, God's been so good to our church. I, I wanna tell you where it's gonna be at. We're gonna launch CCV North Surprise. This, our North Surprise campus is gonna be right off the 303 loop and the 60 in an exploding part of our city that has very few churches. And I just wanna pause for a minute and I wanna tell those of you that give to CCV, the only reason we can launch these campuses is because those of you that faithfully give. And you're, you're helping create revival in our city by using your resources to build God's kingdom. So can we thank everyone that gives at CCV? Like if you're giving, thank you. It's the only way we do it. And I just wanna say, if, if you've been on the sidelines, like you're not, you're not giving, I just wanna continue, I wanna encourage you to jump in because we are not going to stop launching campuses until every man, woman, and child in our city hears the message of Jesus, okay? We're not gonna stop, I won't stop. You have too much urgency. And if you wanna get involved in our CCB North Surprise Campus, you can join our interest list. You can just text the word info to 72020, info to 72020, or you can get online, and we're excited for that launch. And today, I want you to meet our campus pastor and his wife for North Surprise. Would you help me welcome to the stage, Stephen and Danny Einan. Give it up for them. What's up, you guys? Come on. Oh. Um, God continues to bring so many good people our way. Um, Stephen came through our CCV residency which is awesome. Um, he's been on our staff for nine years as an associate pastor, running guest services, and now he's gonna step up for this role. And like all smart men, he married way over his head, like way over his head with Danny. If those of you that know Danny know she's incredible. She's been a high school coach for us. She's been so involved. They have four kids at home, ages three to seven, so like, come on. Come on, <laughs> like it's so good. And she, you guys just, you guys are just such a power couple, and to see how God's gonna use you in North Surprise. What we wanna do as a church, I wanna pray over them, I wanna pray over our North Surprise campus and the revival that God's gonna launch in, in that part of our city. So would you join me in just praying? God, thank you. Thank you so much for Stephen and Danny, for bringing them to our church and for just raising them up for such a moment as this. And I pray you bless their marriage, their kids, the team that they've assembled, and every volunteer that's gonna join the CCV North Surprise campus. Would you? Bring revival to that part of our city as we continue to reach our entire valley for Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can you thank them one more time? Love you guys, thank you. Oh. Well, I still remember the first time I ever learned about hell. Anybody else? Okay, I, I was around the age of seven or eight years old and my parents, what they started doing that summer is they started taking us to a family camp deep in southern Arizona, and it was called Cowboy Camp. I don't even know why they called it Cowboy Camp. We didn't do cowboy things, but it was, it was formed by a group of ranchers in southern Arizona that wanted to gather once a year for some preaching and revival. That's what, it, what we did. So what we did, this is just my impression of what we did as a kid. We had fun during the day, and then we heard about hell at night. 
Seriously, that's what we did. We would gather at night in this uh, open air tent and uh, this open air tent, you know, hundreds of people would gather and I'd never heard preaching like this before. Anybody else grow up with like a little hellfire and brimstone preaching? Um, this was my childhood, you guys, okay? So it's like they wanted to scare the hell out of you, literally. And so we'd gather in this tent and man, these preachers, I, I just never heard anything like this before. They would, when they preached, when they said hell, they'd be like, hell, you know, you remember that? Like hell, and then they they like get into it. They they start describing it. I'm a little kid. I'm the back row. They're like it is, it is hellfire and brimstone and agony and gnashing of teeth. And there's weeping, and there's fire. There's always a fire, right? There's fire like your skin's melting, but you're not dying. And it's like that for eternity. And I remember being a little kid on the back row, and I was like. Mommy, I don't want to go there. She's like, you better start acting better. You know, it's like, no. she didn't say that. My mom didn't say that. She's sweet. But th this is a true story. It's a true story. I walked home from that first camp, and for the next year, no exaggeration, almost every single night, I asked Jesus to come back into my heart again. Okay? Because so I just wanted to be sure. Now, I'm not going to give you hellfire and brimstone today, okay? But I am going to give you the truth. And I think you want the truth. What, what's interesting to me as I started thinking about this is that, that almost my whole entire childhood, just kind of the, the church I was raised in, we talked about hell a lot. And I just think it's very interesting that here we are in this day and age in our world and in most churches in America, we don't talk about hell ever. And in my opinion, that plays right into Satan's hand. Because if I was Satan and I was developing a strategy, here's what I would do. My strategy would be to convince the entire world and especially Christians that either hell doesn't exist or everybody goes to heaven and there's nothing to talk about. And that's kind of where we're at, isn't it? And if, if Satan could convince us that hell isn't real, or at least nobody goes there, two things would happen, and this is what he's doing. Number one, there would be no urgency from unbelievers across the world to ever give their lives to Jesus, because who cares? And the second thing that would happen, and this one's it's so convicting to me, is that Christians everywhere would have no urgency to share their faith with the people around them that desperately need Jesus. And I'll just be honest, I haven't had almost a lot of urgency to want to preach this message. Like, I don't, I don't find joy in preaching about this. I don't enjoy preaching about hell. In fact, C.S. Lewis, probably one of my favorite authors in the world, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, there's no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this if it lay in my power. And there's many, in many ways, I relate with that quote. But you need to know, it is not in my power to not preach on this. And here's why, and you know this if you've been around CCV for any amount of time, our commitment to you is to preach God's word to you. Not Ashley's words, not Mark's words. We want you to have the truth of God's word. And it is interesting to me that when you open up the pages of scripture, and it's why it's so important that you get into scripture, do you know who talked more about hell in scripture than anyone else? It's the person who walked the face of this earth 
as the most loving example of what love is in the world. It's, it's God's son, Jesus. Do you know he talked about more than hell, almost twice as more than anyone else in scripture? In fact, Jesus himself, did you know this? Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven, and he described it more vividly. You'd be like, why, why would that be the case? We'll talk about that, but for us to be a Jesus-centered church, please know this, we cannot ignore what Jesus chose not to ignore. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna give you, primarily from the words of Jesus, I wanna give you the truth about the topic of hell, and I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna play games, I'm not gonna wince, I'm just gonna give you the truth. You okay with that today? I'm just gonna give you the truth, and we're gonna look primarily at the words of Jesus, and what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna answer four of the most profound questions I think you can answer about the topic of hell. Now, I'm not gonna answer every question you might have. Remember, week four of this series, we're gonna do a Q&A. Mark and I are gonna be on stage, we're gonna try to answer almost every question that you've submitted, we're gonna try our best to answer them all. So I'm saving some questions for that week, but four of the most profound questions you can answer today, and let me remind you of the umbrella idea of this whole entire series, that what you believe about eternity will absolutely determine how you live today. You ready to dive in? Question number one, and isn't this a great question, why did God create hell? I mean, isn't that a good question that we, we should answer? And again, we're gonna let scripture be our guide, not our emotion, not our assumptions. Let's let scripture be our guide. Jesus, when he was talking about this in Matthew chapter 25, he said this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Remember we talked about this last weekend, that, that when we die, all of us are gonna go before God and we'll, we'll face judgment in, in front of him. He goes on to say this, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, what we're being told is at the end of time, we'll stand before Jesus and we'll be separated either to the right or to the left. Now, now what, what is the description? What, what is Jesus called all throughout the New Testament? He's called the good shepherd. And those of us that have followed him are his sheep and we'll be put to the right, and those of us that decided that we didn't need Jesus, we did our own thing, we made our own decisions, we'll be separated to the left as, as what he describes as the goats. We'll be separated, there'll be a separation here. The most important question you'll ever answer in this life is what did you do with Jesus? But why did God create hell? I want you to watch the next two verses, like I want you to open your eyes and just let this sink in. These next two verses describe why heaven was created and why hell was created. Just watch this. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on the right, that's the sheep, those who followed him, come, you are blessed, which means you are forgiven. Remember, we, we received the forgiveness of Jesus. It's a free gift by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom, which is heaven. Take heaven, prepared for, say it out loud, you. Who was heaven prepared for since the creation of time? You. God prepared heaven for you, and he's been chasing after you ever since to give you heaven. Why was hell created? It says distinctly, verse 41, then he will say to those on the left, the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed into the internal fire, that is hell, prepared for, say it out loud, the devil. The devil and his angels. Why was hell created? 
Hell was created for Satan and his demons. That is why hell was created. And this is a critical thought for you to have in your mind today. Hell was not created for man. From the beginning of time, when you open up the the, the pages of Genesis, Adam and Eve, where were they? They were in paradise with God. God walked with them. What happened? Sin entered our world. Adam and Eve decided to, to choose the forbidden fruit. How did sin enter our world? Think about this, because Adam and Eve decided to listen to the voice of Satan versus the voice of God. Satan came and whispered in their ear, oh, look at that fruit. Why did God tell you not to have that? It looks good. It looks tasty. Have some of that. And we have been doing the same thing ever since. We have followed the voice of Satan in our lives versus the voice of God. You're like, I don't follow the voice of Satan. Sure, anytime you don't follow God's voice, it means you're following Satan's voice. And that is what sin is. Sin is simply not listening to the voice of God and what he wants for your life. And so what does sin do? Isaiah 59.2, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, what is one of the first things that happened to them? They were separated. They had to be kicked out of the garden because we have a holy and righteous God. We, we sometimes lower the standard of who God is. God is holy and righteous. And any sin in our lives, what does sin do? Log this in your memory. Sin is separation from God. That's what it does. Sin is separation from God. We're going to come back to that, but let's go to question number two. What's hell like then? Like, what, what is hell like? And there, there's so many opinions out there, right? There's some crazy things about, well, we're just annihilated, and then, you know, there's no, there's no hell. What, what is sin really, really like? If it was prepared for Satan and the demons, there's so many opinions, but let's just go back to God's word. And primarily the words of Jesus. I want you to know, first and foremost, that Jesus defines hell as a real place. It's not a fairy tale. It's not, you know, a figment of our imagination, he describes it as a real place. In fact, the, the, the number one word that Jesus uses throughout the New Testament, the primary word Jesus used for hell in the New Testament is the word Gehenna. Gehenna. Now, in Jesus' day, Gehenna was actually a real place. Outside the walls of Jerusalem was a, was a massive ravine and a valley called Gehenna. I've actually stood there myself. Um, I'm going with a trip uh, with a group from CCV here soon. I'll be, there. I'll be there again. You can see it. And Gehenna, the history of Gehenna is back in the Old Testament, in Old Testament days when people started following other gods besides the one true God. In the valley of Gehenna, people actually began to sacrifice their kids to the god Moloch. And they began to do things sexually that if I described them, we would, we would shudder. It was a place of utter evil. And so by the time the New Testament comes around, the valley of Gehenna has been has been abandoned. It is a place now only for waste. It's a place of, of, of just, ugh. People would dump their dead bodies there. People would put their human excrement there. They put all their trash there. And to deal with the trash, what they did is they kept a fire burning in the Valley of Gehenna 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And when, when Jesus begins to describe hell, he tells people it is a place like that, like that. And then Jesus goes on to give us so many other metaphors and symbols to describe what hell is. And I want you to know, I think it's, 
it's very telling that, that we have so many different metaphors or symbols for what hell is, and I'll tell you why that is. Just think about your own life for a second. When you're trying to describe to someone something that you have experienced but they have not experienced, and it's so hard to describe to them because they've never been there, what do you do? You use metaphors, you use symbols. It's our only way to try to describe what is undescribable because people have never experienced it themselves. I'll give you an example. Uh, for you ladies out there, women, how do you describe to men what it's like to have a natural childbirth? Like it's impossible, right? Um, I told Jamie one time, I really, did. I was like, well, I've had a kidney stone. Like how could it, it it's probably about the same thing, right? When I got up off the ground, um, I realized... <laughs> I realized maybe, maybe I didn't know. I heard, I heard one person describe to a man, this is what it's like to have a natural childbirth. Take your bottom lip and stretch it over your head. <laughs> That's not what it's really like, is it? But the only thing we can do for someone who's never been there is try to use a metaphor to describe it. Think, think in your life, think about the deepest pain you've ever been through. Some of you that have experienced abuse or divorce or someone cheated on you or you lost a child. How do you describe to someone that pain when they've never been there? We, we say things like, my heart was ripped to pieces. Was your heart really ripped to pieces? No, but you just, you don't know how to describe it. You know what we say oftentimes in our deepest levels of pain? Think about this. We say, it was like I was living through hell. Now, I want to describe to you the descriptions given to us in Scripture for hell. And I believe Jesus is trying to describe the indescribable to us. Listen. Matthew 25, it's a place of eternal fire. Matthew 13, it's a blazing furnace. Matthew 25, it's an eternal punishment. Luke 8, it's, a, it's an abyss. It's a bottomless pit. Mark 9 and Isaiah 51, it's where worms and moth eat away for eternity. It's a place of darkness and weeping and continuous torment that doesn't end. It's a place where there's gnashing of teeth. You ever, you ever done something that you so regretted that you grinded your teeth together. <laughs> Imagine that for eternity. Now we don't know, when you look at this list, we don't know how many of these are literal and how many of them are metaphors. But what I believe Jesus is trying to tell us is that hell is a place that's horrors are indescribable. They're indescribable. Now, we know some of them could be metaphors because think about this. If it's a place of eternal fire, but eternal darkness, in darkness, do you, would it be dark if there was fire there? Although some of you have been in a completely lit room and you felt utter darkness on your life, haven't you? Just know this. All we know is this is a place of undescribable horror. And the fact that some of these could be metaphors should not make us feel any better. And here's why. When you use a metaphor, you're normally underselling the reality. And Jesus is just trying to tell us, I don't want you there. 
I want you to understand this is a horrific place. To me, the best description of hell in the New Testament comes from 2 Thessalonians 1.9. It says this, describing hell. They will be punished with eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. This is the most powerful description to me is that hell's best description is eternal separation from God. Do you know that God is the epitome of love, of goodness, of grace, of hope, and peace? Imagine a place where you are eternally separated from any semblance of love and hope and peace in your life. I think when you think about the greatest pain you've ever experienced in your life, you would probably describe it as being separated from love, being utterly alone, maybe even being separated from someone that you did love. Now, I was thinking about this in my life this week, and you have to forgive me because this is not a, 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 as a weighty an example as some of you have experienced in your life. It's just the first thing that popped in my mind. I thought to myself, like, well, when's the last time that I've been, Jamie and my kids are, are, are who I love the most. And I was thinking, like, when was I really separated from them and it was really, really painful? And this is the first thing that popped in my mind. Um, last year, I have to travel for work uh, in, my, in my role sometimes. And so last year, I, I traveled to Orlando, Florida to, to speak to over a 1,000 pastors and do some training with them. And I was excited to do it, but when I got to Orlando, Hurricane Ian hit. And, and, and I knew, I knew, I was like, they're gonna close the airports down. I'm gonna get stranded here for weeks. I'd already been gone for about a week from my family. When I travel from them, I miss them so much. Like, I just hate being away from them. So I was thinking to myself, I am not getting stranded in Orlando. So I called my assistant. I was traveling with our campus pastor in Verado, Aaron Byron, awesome guy. And so we're, we're, she called, she got us two of the last flights, or last seats on the last flight out of Orlando before they shut the airport down. I'm sitting in a middle seat towards the back of the plane. I have to fly through Dallas, which is hell enough for some of you, right? So um, I'm in the middle seat, and, and I, we get to Dallas. I just want to get home, and it was so hard getting out of Orlando. And when I got to Dallas, they, they delayed our flight for an hour and a half, which is already painful enough. I got on the plane, and no joke, I'm not joking. We got on the plane. We sat at the gate on the tarmac for another three and a half hours because someone had put the fuel in the wrong container on the plane. So I'm like, I don't even know how you do that. I'm, I'm sitting there going like, you put it in the wrong, so they had to drain the fuel out and put it back in. So for three and a half hours, we just sat there, which would be bad enough. And I knew people wouldn't believe this. So I filmed it. I sat there for three and a half hours. And for three and a half hours, it did not stop once for three and a half hours. This is what I heard. I'm not joking, I'm not kidding. Some woman had brought her new cat on the plane and she was just a few rows behind me for three and a half hours, I heard a cat meow. And I thought to myself, God, this is you punishing me for all the bad cat jokes I've done. I know, I'm like, I repent, I repent. That is hell. Imagine not 
three and a half hours of separation and torment. Imagine an eternity. Here's the problem. None of us can fathom what that would be like. None of us. Because none of us have ever experienced a lifetime without some of God's love and presence in our life. Think about it this way. Even the person on earth today that is the furthest from God, the most evil person in the world, still gets to experience some of God's goodness and some of God's grace. Did you know that? Actually, I love the way Max Lucado describes it. He said this, Adolf Hitler witnessed the wonder of the Alps. Saddam Hussein enjoyed the sunrise of the desert. The dictator, the child molester, the, the serial rapist, the drug peddler, they all enjoy the common grace of God's goodness on this earth. They still hear children laugh. They still smell dinner cooking. They tap their toes to the rhythm of a good song. All these things are gifts from God. But imagine a place where there's no God. There's no love. There's no goodness. You'd be completely alone, completely empty. You'd have nothing good at all in your life. And some of you are thinking, like, that describes me right now. No, it doesn't. Don't you dare compare what you might be feeling right now with an eternity without God. It's not fair. It's not true. Today, no matter what you're going through, tomorrow you could wake up and see a sunset, a sunrise. You could look at the mountains. You could go to a lake. You could see a smile. I don't get many smiles. You're getting one right now. <laughs> like that's a grace of God. What Jesus is trying to tell us is hell is void of everything good. There's no God. You might say to yourself, here's question three. How can a God of love send anyone to hell then? Isn't that what you hear around us? Like, how could a God of love ever send someone to a place like that? And lean in. Here's the answer. He doesn't. You're thinking, woo, yeah, everyone goes to heaven. No. Real people go to hell. Here's what you have to know. God doesn't send people to hell. People go to hell based on their own choice. Do you understand that you have a God who has done everything in his power to give you heaven? He doesn't want one person to go to hell. Do you understand you have a God who sent his only son to die for you? That's how much he loves you and wants you to have the hope of heaven. He didn't create hell for you. Hell was created for Satan and the demons. And the only people that go to hell is by, based on their own choice of rejecting God and God's son and choosing their own way. But God does not send people to hell. People go to hell based on their own choice. Listen to these verses, 2 Peter 3, 9. Talking about hell, he says, no, God, he's patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. How much more clear could that be? God wants everyone to choose Jesus. And he's given Jesus to everyone 
God's not a sadist. He doesn't take joy in people going to hell. Ezekiel 18, do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. So God didn't create anyone for hell. He created you for heaven. And you will only experience hell if you reject the love of God. I love the way Dave Stone says it. Dave Stone says, Jesus loves you so much, he hangs on a cross before the entrance of hell and says, the only way you'll go to hell is over my dead body. And yet some of us continue to step over the truth of Jesus and his dead body and resurrection. And that is our choice when God says, choose me. Like any relationship, God cannot force you to choose him. Think about, you cannot force someone to love you, can you? They have the free will and choice to choose you or reject you. And every human in humanity has the free will to accept God or reject God. But God's will is that you choose him. And if you don't, that is on you. It is your choice. And some of us in our stubbornness, or maybe our shame, because we don't think God could forgive what we've done, or maybe in our pride that it's been so long, we've stiff-armed God, we've not chosen God. But let me say it again. God does not send people to hell. People go to hell based on their own choice. So here's the fourth question. This is the most important question today. What does the reality of hell mean for me? What does this reality mean? I wanna to talk to two people, two, two different people here today. One, I wanna to talk to those of you that have never decided to choose Jesus and be baptized. I don't preach about hell smiling. I preach it with tears. Because God does not want hell for you. But you have to choose him. It's the only way. And if you don't know Jesus here today, I'm just begging you, been praying for you like all week long, just choose him. Talk to a campus pastor, talk to our staff, talk to a volunteer. You do not have to experience hell when you choose Jesus, okay? Here's the group I really wanna to talk to though. And I'm telling you, this has been my burden all week long. I wanna to talk to you, those of you that are Christians. You've chosen Jesus, you've been baptized, you know where your eternity's at. I got done writing this message. I got home on Tuesday after writing most of this message and I looked at Jamie and I said, Jamie, I cannot remember the last time I've been this convicted. Because I'm, I'm, I'm reading all about the horrors of hell from the words of Jesus, and here's what I thought. I don't ever think about the horrors of hell. I don't, and I realized why. Because I'm not going there. And then I thought, how selfish of me when there are people all around me that that is their reality, and do I have a burden to reach them? Do I understand what's at stake? And I'm just gonna be honest. A lot of times, I do not. I want heaven for them, but I don't think about the reality of hell. And that's a problem. It's a problem for Christians. We have played into Satan's hand. There's a true story about a man named Charles Peace. He lived in the 1800s, and 
he was sentenced to death by hanging, and, and this man named Leonard Renneville, he writes in his book about this true story, and he says that there was a chaplain that went to go see uh, Charles, and it was kind of standard practice that you gotta see a chaplain before you died, and this chaplain begins to break out his script, and he's telling Charles about the realities of hell and how Jesus is the answer, but he says it so mundanely, he says it so commonly, he's like, Jesus is the answer, hell is real. You know, he, he just said, and, and it says Charles taps him on the shoulder and says, do you believe that? Do you believe what you just told me? And the chaplain said, well, yeah, I mean, I do. And this is what Charles said back to him. He said, sir, if I believe what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on my hands and knees and think it worthwhile just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. That's how much urgency I would have to share my faith. That's the urgency we need. We have to have that. And listen, you don't have to walk across glass to share your faith. You just have to walk across the street. You have to walk across the room, walk across the aisle. And I just know for me and for our church, it is high time that we realize what's at stake with sharing our faith. Everything, everything. So who are you sharing Jesus with? Who are you inviting to church? Do you have urgency? I wanna pray right now that all of us do. Whether you need Jesus or you need to share Jesus, let's pray right now that God gets a hold of our hearts so we don't walk another day without understanding what's at stake with Jesus. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you for a church that wants to proclaim your truth. I pray for those that have struggled with this topic. And I pray for those that don't know Jesus. Would you help them choose you today? We're ready. But I pray for all of us that are Christians, God. I just feel this burden that, that we've ignored hell. We've ignored the realities of it. And it's caused us to be complacent, to care about the comforts of this world versus the eternity that's at stake if we don't get off our couches and get off social media, get off the things that distract to share our faith. So would you make us passionate about sharing our faith this week and inviting somebody of you next week? I pray all this in the power of Jesus. And we all said, amen, amen. Hey, next week we're gonna talk about heaven, okay? It's gonna be great. I think it's a great time to invite somebody. But until then, let's go out. Let's go share our faith with people around us, amen? Have a great week, CCV.